Picture a paved, dead-end road wedged between two forested hills. On one side, there's a little concrete house with a metal roof, maybe four feet tall. And beside it, poking through a slab of broken pavement, a white plastic pipe. It's not what you typically think of when you hear the phrase, sacred place. But residents of this town have been coming here for hundreds of years to get something that these days comes freely out of your tap. Can we pester you for a second? That's producer Taylor Quimby talking to a guy that's holding a big plastic jug underneath the pipe, filling it with crisp, cold spring water. Like, what's the benefit? Just the taste of the water? Um, I like to think it's healthier, at least, than the chlorinated stuff we could come coming out of the taps. Um, I also use it when I, uh, I grow a lot of vegetables and stuff in my basement. So I'll use it for that. Whether you're feeding your basement vegetables or just quaffing a glass from the tap, water is objectively the most important resource needed for human survival. So it's understandable that people will go out of their way to get the very best there is. I did not close that. For a lot of the townsfolk of Exeter, New Hampshire, that means coming here to the Jailhouse Spring, a spot not far from where the town founder took up residence in 1638. The history is rich, and the water is always flowing. Can I? Can do you mind if I if I ask you a couple questions while you fill? Um, you drink nothing but this water. I don't. I don't like to drink the the town water. Obviously, I boil it sometimes and use it in cooking. But um, I get quarterly reports that are not perfect every single quarter. And a long history has helped transform this inconspicuous pipe into something sacred. Something old school cool. What are the what are the things in the report that concern you? Well, the level of these chemicals that they say are, are going to be fixed. Um, well, I can't remember right now the you know the scientific uh, name for it because they are complicated names. But maybe that history has done something else too. Maybe it's inspired a bit of what skeptics would call magical thinking. Why why does it feel like this water is better than the town water? Because it comes out of the ground and it hasn't been run through treatments and um, it just seems like it must be pure. This is Outside In, a show about the natural world and how we use it. I'm Sam Evans-Brown. For thousands of years, some natural spring waters have been associated with health. But recently, in response to something called the raw water movement, scientists and health officials have emphasized that drinking water from untested springs can make you sick. So today, producer Taylor Quimby and I are trying to sort it all out. Are springs a pure source of a healing tonic or a passing fad and a dangerous throwback? Since this story has been a real learning process for Taylor, Mm. I think we should start at the beginning. TQ, how did this story get started? So sometime last year, I was Googling spring water, as you do, and uh, I came across a guy named Daniel Vitalis. This is fresh water from the earth the way it was meant to be, and it's the kind of water that we're biologically adapted to as an animal. Now, Daniel Vitalis is a very engaging character. 
Uh, he's got an impressive beard, I must say. And he's the host of the show called the Rewild Yourself Podcast. You're listening to the Rewild Yourself Podcast. Podcast. Awakens your instincts. There's episodes about hunting squirrels. My, my hunting method for squirrel right now, because there's... There's an episode about eating acorns. They're free. There's no agriculture needed. You don't have to buy any equipment. You don't even really. have to. Yeah, you can use rocks. Uh, there's an episode about barefoot shoes. Big fan. Probably the correct pronunciation is indeed Vibram. To me, it's like a vibe is cool. Like, hey, we got good vibes, but I got to say like... You know, basically, Daniel Vitalis has this benevolent prepper slash hyper-local food advocate thing going on. And one of the things he is super passionate about is spring water. The water from springs is the cleanest water in the world. It's been filtered by the earth itself, so water percolates down through the earth and is filtered by all that earth substrate, and it accumulates in deep aquifers. And when those aquifers are full, that water is brought up to the surface. At so about a decade ago, Daniel Vitalis started this website called findaspring.com which is this crowdsourced platform where people can submit their local springs, leave comments about how they taste or whether the water is safe, um, put like a, a GPS pin down so people can find directions there. And there are just hundreds of these springs that people have submitted across the country. And Daniel, on this website, he has all these videos about how to become a spring water fanatic just like him. All right, here's an equipment list that can really help you in your spring water gathering practice. First thing is gonna be a TDS meter. Now, TDS meter measures the total dissolved solids in the water that you're drinking. And the way it does that is it has an... So, Taylor, what exactly are you thinking about Daniel Vitalis at this point? Well, he's got the air of a very well-informed hobbyist. You know, he sounds like he's got a pretty great grasp of science. So, I call him up, and soundbite by soundbite, he is just blowing my mind. I understand that this water isn't alive in the sense that the H2O is not alive, but if you'll allow it the... The water that I'm talking about is an ecosystem. He's talking about how there's no such thing as pure, unadulterated water. Of course not. Oh, wow, it's amazing. He's talking about why restaurants put uh, lemon or lime in their water to make it taste better. Right? They know the water's not really that good. You know, add lemon or lime to it and put some acidity into it, and that'll kind of make it feel wetter in your mouth. It's like... Up until this point, I have literally never thought this much about water in my life. We know now what happens when you remove all the stuff, let's say, from sugarcane and you just eat the sucrose crystal, white sugar. We know what happens when you take wheat and you remove everything and you just eat the white flour. We're very comfortable with the idea that those processed foods are less nutritious to us and have deleterious effects on our bodies. But we haven't really, for whatever reason, thought about what happens when we alter the composition of water. So I remember you getting out of this interview with this dude and just being like, oh, man, he's so cool. Like, you were totally taken with him. <laughs> well, I, I, yeah, I was. When you look at what most people are, they're kind of like bags of dirty water walking around making mistakes. <laughs> oh, that was mean to say that. Who says that? <laughs> no, no, no. I like to, I'll, I'm going to picture that as I walk down the street next time. <laughs> That's how I see it. So what I think Daniel Vitalis has done is take this age-old fascination with natural springs um, and adapted it for a 21st century audience, especially the subset of folks who are big into local food, yoga, maybe, back-to-the-land lifestyles, and all that kind of stuff. There is an aura of mystery that goes around springs because, you know, where is the water coming from? This is Frank Chappelle, a research hydrologist who's been studying the chemistry of groundwater for 30 years. If you're in the desert, you know, and you're in an oasis, you know, it's like it's a miracle. 
And so why wouldn't a miracle water be good for you? Before the advent of chlorination, when people in population centers especially were getting most of their water from reservoirs, lakes, rivers, types of water that are stored on the Earth's surface, diseases could get into that water and spread through a population really, really fast. Just look up cholera epidemics on the internet and you'll get the idea of why treating public water was important. I mean, we're talking about hundreds of thousands of people dying all across the globe. You know, it used to be that taking a drink of water, you were taken at risk. Um, through most of human history. And so if you had a spring which was demonstrably correct, then you stuck with that because that was worth something. It wasn't just worth something. It was worth huge money. In the mid-1800s, Saratoga Springs in New York produced millions of glass bottles of spring water every year and sold them at a just crazy markup to wealthy consumers. At $1.75 per pint, adjusted for inflation, that's about $375 a gallon. (laughs) In some cases, spring water wasn't just less dangerous, though. It could actively make you healthier. You know, iodine in Saratoga spring water, you know, was observed to cure simple goiters in people. Uh, Another good example is in the 1800s, you know, before we had Geritol, um, women going into menopause often would come up with a kind of anemia, which was called chlorosis, because it kind of turned them slightly green. And it was observed that that condition could be cured by drinking water from certain springs. And as it turns out, that that water, as you might expect, uh, contained relatively high concentrations of dissolved iron. But a lot changed when developed countries started chlorinating water. It started in Germany and England around the start of the 20th century and took off. If you ever played Oregon Trail growing up, which I did, you know how hard it was to survive the game without dying of dysentery. Well, the reason that you don't hear about that in the U.S. anymore, or cholera or typhoid for that matter, is because of water chlorination. From that point on, the clear-cut advantage that spring-fed groundwater had over public water systems wasn't so clear-cut anymore. You know, when I talked with Daniel Vitalis, I asked him to do something that I now realize uh, doesn't make a whole lot of sense, but I thought it did at the time. I asked him to rank sources of water from best to worst. I cannot believe. Uh, It was like a trap that I didn't know I was setting. You're a a babe in the wilderness, Taylor. (laughs) If you think about if you're drinking water out of an aquifer that's been down there for um, three, four hundred years, then that water's older than the Industrial Revolution. So for me, the hierarchy goes like this. The clean, deep, uh, old, locked up aquifer water that we get at springs. Next for me would be um, water from an artesian well. After that, it kind of gets murky. It's like it's up to you to decide if you want to go tap water and filter it or if you want to go bottled water because both have some downsides. Uh, but when I posed that same question later to Frank Chappelle and I told him what Daniel had said, he was he was like genuinely alarmed. Oh, it, it's it's not true. <laughs> um, that's just not correct. M- the vast majority of springs that you find, especially in the eastern United States where it's, you know, humid, the residence time of the water in the ground is very short. I mean, sometimes on the order of days. And in, in general, the, the younger the water, the greater the possibility that it is going to have some kind of chemical or fecal contamination. 
Sure, springs can be an incredibly good source of clean water, but you can't take that for granted. You have to look at the specifics. Possible pollutants can come from local geology, nearby farms, animal poo, which is why even findaspring.com has a lengthy disclaimer on the website. Daniel has a way of sounding a bit like a scientist, but he also makes these broad pronouncements, the kinds of things that real scientists like Frank would never say, not to mention doctors and health officials. What they will all tell you is you shouldn't drink spring water without knowing what's in it. To make a blanket statement that spring waters are always better is simply not correct. Coming up, we see how far a little magical thinking can take you and put some of our local springs to the test, like an actual laboratory water quality test. What other kind of test would there be? You know, like the SAT. <laughs> uh, they'd still get, what, 800 points or something? Isn't there like yeah, a minimum? minimum. <laughs> <laughs> they have to at least write your name. Yeah. Oh, right. Okay. So they, they probably wouldn't do that. Ready? Yeah. Welcome back. I'm Sam Evans-Brown. And I'm Taylor Quimby. And we are Indistinguishable. And today we are talking about natural springs. Now, before the break, our hydrologist Frank Chappelle told us that when it comes to how safe spring water is, the details matter. We picked a good day for our road trip. Uh, a little slick. I was going to say, I feel like we picked a terrible day for our road trip because there's snow all over the roads. And one of the things that might not come across over the radio is just how different these roadside springs can be from one another. So Taylor decided we would do a little survey of some of the springs here in New Hampshire and run some of them through the same level of testing that tap water goes through. Or close. Very close. Ish. Oh, no. Yeah. It's on the left. You lied to us, Siri. Wait, did I just pass it? Yeah, you did. That was it? That was it. Man, they're so nondescript. That was like a little fence and a sign that said, looked like it said bump. <laughs> Did it say pump? It does say bump. It's called Fist Bump Spring. <laughs> yeah, and to describe it, it just looks like a steel pipe. This is some rust, some corrosion. You've got the gas station, you've got like a busy road. You want to try it? Yep, tastes like water. I don't love it. Spring number two, moving on. Actually, I think this tastes better than the other one. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I, I won't say why, but it, I feel like it tastes better. Yeah, there's something there. This is a bad idea. We're gonna get hit by a car. And there's probably no spring because it's covered in snow. Oh, I'm not seeing anything. You're sure it's on the side of the road? Yeah, that's what it said. Sacred, oh. sacred. Holy shit, that is dope. Okay, that is actually pretty cool. There's a grate and there's like leaves and some trash floating in it. And uh, on the grate, there's a lot of algae. Taylor, we got someone waiting for us. Dude, I, I, gave her the, I gave her the sign. What to do here? I, I said, I waved, we're done. We're obviously done. I would not feel safe Taste testing this until until I've been assured that there's no bacteria in the water. Agreed. Yeah, I'm gonna and I'll get the bacteria bottle. All in all, we visited five locations from findaspring.com. One of them, listed on the website as a Daniel Vitalis favorite, was housed in an amazing springhouse topped with this 
Turkish style onion dome. But don't judge a spring by its spring house because that was also the one with like an open pool of water with trash floating in it. (laughs) (laughs) And all along the way, we collected samples, which at the end of the day, we brought to a water quality lab to get tested. All set. All right. All right. Thanks so much. And from there, we just waited. Onward. Now, this would probably be a good time to tell you all that while we were working on this story, this whole spring water health craze thing blew up. A couple days after Christmas, the New York Times published an article called Unfiltered Fervor, The Rush to Get Off the Water Grid. They reported on a growing number of people that sell or promote what they call raw water. And boy, oh boy, was there a freak out. Tap or not to tap, the so-called raw water trend. Raw water. Raw water. With something called raw water. As people drinking untreated, unfiltered, unsterilized water collected from natural springs. Drinking that sounds insane. Officials at the Centers for Disease Control say water is filtered for a reason. Could put you at risk for diseases like hepatitis and neurovirus. Giardia. E. coli. That could definitely make you sick. What is wrong with people? Or kill you. Don't do it. Wouldn't you know it, Daniel Vitalis of findaspring.com had a quote in the New York Times article, the Juicero guy from Silicon Valley has a new raw water startup. He was in the article. And these two, Brian Pullen and Seth Puzanski, a couple of guys bottling untreated spring water in Maine under the name Tourmaline Springs. People tell us all the time they need half as much water that they normally need. When they use this water? Yeah, when they drink it, they they feel satiated with much less volume. The spring that Seth and Brian are bottling is another one of those historic springs that goes way back. And in fact, they've been selling their brand of raw water for a few years now. It's only since the New York Times article came out that things really went nuts. So here we had CBS, we had Fox News, we had uh, Comedy Central tried to make, they did make fun of us. Boston Globe just put us on the front page. Um, front front page. It's the been... ignorance of people. Everybody just keeps regurgitating and recycling the same nonsense, really having no idea what they're talking about. Some of the companies mentioned in the New York Times article, I think it's fair to say that they make a very easy target. The owner of a brand called Live Water told the Times that his water only stays fresh for one lunar cycle and that good water should turn green after a while which is also something Daniel Vitalis told me, but it sounded less ridiculous then. (laughs) God. And it's also easy to make fun of the people who can afford to buy live water, which retails for a staggering $37 for two and a half gallons. Not as much as it cost back in the cholera days, but next to tap water? It's a pretty staggering markup. Yeah, a lot of the coverage I saw of this was very much about, like, rich folks in Silicon Valley are so privileged they can afford to drink water that makes you sick. There's a new pseudoscientific health craze for the wealthy that could definitely make you sick. That backlash caught up everyone, including the guys at Tourmaline Springs, who saw a sudden spike in attention, but also say they got death threats from people who said they were going to make people sick, which isn't really fair, because while their water might not be treated, it is tested to the same standard as their bottled water competitors. So we, we test for the presence of coliform when we bottle each time. And then quarterly, we test for we test for coliform again. And we also do swab tests of containers, bottles, and caps. And then annually, we do the full battery for 200 
chemicals and they're doing everything there, you know, at upwards of parts per quadrillion. We've never advocated drinking from a stream or or, or even a spring that isn't checked because it's really it's a stupid thing in this day and age. Even a, a you know a roadside spring, you see a pipe there, but you have no idea what's going on between there and the source. I think I think when we look at the backlash from like ER docs and like that kind of thing, like this CDC types, um, their concern is that people are going to hear this raw water, like untreated water, and think think oh that's better. They're afraid that people are going to like start drinking out of streams again and, and like you know get poisoning from you know get giardia and, and that kind of thing. Yes, um, I agree with you. You're right. Yes, I agree with you, of course. But you could qualify what you say instead of just screaming at the top of your lungs about how dangerous it is. That nobody ever discusses how many people get sick from tap water every year. Tourmaline Springs might not make you sick, but that doesn't mean that Brian and Seth aren't performing some sort of verbal gymnastics to justify their product. On the one hand, they will tell you that there is nothing magical about their water, but then moments later they'll call it a healing tonic and they'll talk to you about its unique mineral content. On their website or on the news, they've argued that the source of their water is thousands of years old, that it flows from the White Mountains or is maybe even created by magma deep inside the Earth's mantle. But then they'll admit that they can't really prove the origin of their spring at all. It's, it's we can't it's hard, it, I know it's frustrating for you because you can't quantify you know, we don't understand that necessarily where things are coming. All we know is what's presenting itself to the surface and what the chemical purity is through modern day testing. But where this occurs from is still a bit, there's a bit of magic in that. You know, we don't really know. But if there's a reason why their message sticks right now, a reason why the idea of raw water resonates with a certain brand of consumer, it's probably because trust in our public water systems has taken a pretty hard hit in recent years. And it's not just in places like Flint, Michigan. In 2016, Reuters conducted an investigation that found nearly 3,000 areas across the country where lead exposure was higher than Flint. A paper just published in the Proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences showed that in 2015, some 21 million people drank water from systems that don't meet health-based quality standards. People like the residents of Exeter, New Hampshire. That's the site of the first spring we visited way back at the beginning of the episode. An EPA database that scores water utilities, based on violations and compliance, gave Exeter's water department the worst rating among New Hampshire's large utilities. Sam, you remember that lady who said that every quarter she would read about the bad stuff in the public water in Exeter? Yeah. I get quarterly reports that are not perfect every single quarter. Well, the contaminant that she couldn't remember the name of is a byproduct of chlorine called a trihalomethane. The chlorine reacts with some of the constituents that are still in the water and or stuck on the inside of the pipes. That's Paul Roy. Uh, I'm the water treatment operations supervisor uh, for the town of Exeter, New Hampshire. And in Exeter's case specifically, the levels of trihalomethanes are high enough that the city has acknowledged there is an increased risk of getting some cancers if you drink their water. Uh, this would be a 150-pound person drinking roughly 10 liters of water a day for 70 years, and they get a 1% chance more of getting cancer. Now, you may hear that and say, well, that's an acceptable risk. I'm going to drink it anyway, or not. 10 liters is a lot, and so is 70 years. But either way, the town is doing everything they can to get that number down. But in the meantime, they still have to publish these reports quarter after quarter that say, yes, this contaminant is a carcinogen. 
And if you're this woman getting these updates four times a year since 2014, you might just think that drinking from the jailhouse spring is the safer option. I know they're trying to clean up the water system and provide a new um, water system, but water is the most important thing we have. What do you what do you tell people when they call with concerns? Um, depending on your age, uh, it's going to be entirely up to you. The, the possibility exists that uh, you can use a point of use filter. Bottled water, if you want, is it is technically safe. Uh, other than that, it, you know, it's totally up to the individual. So a few days after our road trip, um, I got a couple of emails back from the water quality lab. We got our results. So so point two is, is how much they can detect. For all the really scary stuff that can get into your water, everything was within legal limits. There was like basically none. No uranium. No E. coli. No manganese. No arsenic. That not that more stuff? Where's it? Wait, hang on. There's total dissolved solids on here? No. So this has conductivity. A few highish numbers for other stuff here and there, but no smoking guns. Nothing that screamed unsafe. This one has like 1.2, which is a, a quarter of the acceptable limit. The only primary test that would violate EPA standards was that all three springs were positive for total coliform bacteria. So, oh my gosh. <laughs> Which is basically like, yeah, there's bacteria in this water. Wait, we drank this water too. We liked it. This was our favorite water. <laughs> well, coliform bacteria is apparently delicious. And in the end, we came away thinking, well, most of these are probably fine to drink from. I mean, we did. Yeah, except for the one with the onion dome. No, I'm going to trust my gut on that one and say too risky. The trash was not encouraging. It wasn't too much trash, though. <laughs> it's just a wee <laughs> cigarette butt here or there. It was just like a light smattering of trash. <laughs> so if you lived in Exeter, would you drink from the spring or would you drink the trihalomethane? I guess it probably depends how close to the spring I lived. You know, I, I mean... If there's one thing that I've learned doing this story, it's that there's no easy generalizations, that the more information you have, the better. But I've got to say, like, the more information I have doesn't make it easy to see, like, there's a clear choice of, like, oh, this is safe and this isn't. Yeah. Like, the days of clear choices are long past. The days of clear choices were, you know, dysentery and cholera days. Right. And and now we're looking at these contaminants that are present and in low doses over many years increase your risk of cancers, but you may never actually know if that cancer that you got came from your water or from some other environmental contaminant. Um, And so it just becomes about managing all these disparate, low-level risks and and trying to make these margin calls of of what risks you find acceptable. Yeah. And and it just, I mean, you you start to get the sense that um, this idea that you can live in any way, shape, or form some sort of pure, unadulterated life, whether that's spring water or food or anything else, is just impossible because environmental contaminants are everywhere all the time. Yeah, and we just kind of have to come to terms with that. Mm. Well, the good thing about this whole show to me is that it's all academic in my case because I don't drink water, I just drink coffee. <laughs> it's filtered. It goes through the filter at the top of the coffee It's through the beans. All the stuff winds up in the beans. 
Outside In was produced this week by Taylor Quimby and me, Sam Evans-Brown, with help from Hannah McCarthy, Justine Paradise, and Jimmy Gutierrez. Erica Janik is our executive producer. Special thanks to Joe Ayotte, who walked us through the initial science here, and the folks at Nelson Analytical for giving us a tour of their lab. If you want to see the full results from our spring water tests, go to outsideinradio.org. And no surprise here, we sent them along to some of the fine folks at New Hampshire's Department of Environmental Services. They said they do not recommend drinking from untested roadside springs. There it is. A quick epilogue at the end of the year. Daniel Vitalis said goodbye to the Rewild Yourself podcast. Uh, A fond farewell. Good luck with the acorns. Findaspring.com is, of course, still up and running. Music in this episode is by Blue Dot Sessions and Poddington Bear. Our theme music is by Breakmaster Cylinder. Outside In is a production of New Hampshire Public Radio. It's the acorns comment too mean. Should I take it back? (laughs) I like Daniel. I really like him. Do you have you tried the acorns? No, I would I would eat an acorn. They're toxic. Don't do that. (laughs) I had no idea. Oh, see, I gotta listen to the full episode. You have to like soak them in.